This is Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 648. And the quote of the day is, in order to become one of the greats, you have to study the greats. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming, and beyond, and beyond, and beyond. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here, episode 648 of the Drummer's Resource Podcast, and I hope you're doing well. And I did not do this purposely, but this is the second guest in a row that plays with or has played with Joey DeFrancesco. Didn't do it on purpose, but it worked out really well because I love Joey DeFrancesco and I love my fellow Philly drummers. And this is Anwar Marshall, who is a Philly guy, plays with Joey DeFrancesco, has played with Christian McBride. He's played with a slew of other great jazz luminaries as well. And this is a, a, a fantastic conversation. We talk about studying the greats, learning from learning from different people, how you study these people to get that into your playing and how to make it sound like your own playing. Like it doesn't sound like you're just copying and pasting. And he has a great way of talking about not only that, but playing melodically and, and playing to forms and different things like that. So a great conversation. You may want to grab a notepad and, uh, and start taking some notes here and I'm not going to waste any more time. Let's get into it with Anwar Marshall. Anwar, what's going on, my man? Not too much. Uh, Sunday uh, in New York, chilling out. I like it. About to talk some drums. <laughs> yeah. For inevitably, when we start, we always end up talking about the weather. Some for some, for I don't. Sure. I, have, I have no idea why. Uh, but it's cold in New York, huh? Crazy cold right now. Yeah, that's a, yeah. My family's back back east, and it's uh, as we would say in Philly and other places say it, say it as well. But it's brick. Yeah, <laughs> it's brick. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even, I, I didn't do this uh, purposely, but, mm-hmm. uh, but I had two drummers who play with Joey D. Francesco lined up two in a row. So I just had Michael O'Day, and now, My and now talking to you, uh, which always makes me feel good because I think I, you know, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I talked to you about it, like I grew up sort of uh listening to the De Francesco family and all that and and I always I always I at the time I didn't realize the sort of the breadth of uh of their careers all of them they you know Pop yeah, and Joey and Johnny yeah. collectively and, and their sister and every you know mm-hmm. uh it's just it's amazing um so talking to talking to someone and then you know I consider myself a Philadelphian you know I grew up For outside sure. of Philly but but I'm a Philly mm-hmm. guy uh through Definitely. and through so it's like, I feel like I'm talking to family here, which I love. Oh, most of my brother. I love it. I love know. it. Uh, so I want to, I want to talk a little bit about your upbringing. So you, you grew up, you grew up in Philly and both of your parents accomplished musicians. Yeah. And what does that, what does that feel like in the house? Are they, are they listening to particular type of music? Are they, try, are they hipping you to stuff? Are they pushing you into music in any way? How did that work? So, Great. I loved, I really love talking about this because my, both my parents are still with us and um, they're both still playing, um, not mm-hmm. professionally, but they're both still very musically active. So I grew up in Germantown in Philadelphia. Um, both of my parents are musicians. They met um, 
they were take they were both taking piano lessons at the time. My dad was a was originally a clarinetist. Um, then he played saxophone, flute, um, piano. Now he plays those instruments plus um, bass, which he started playing with us, me and my mom, me and my, me and my mother in church mm-hmm. later, just because we needed a bassist. My dad just started playing bass, um, keyboards. And most recently he started playing drums. So I, over the holidays, I gave him a couple drum lessons. So that was super cool. Oh, and so he's mother, one of those guys that just plays those everything. Guys, just like, right. if it has notes on it, he going to figure it out. And he's, <laughs> right. and he's, and he's extremely smart. He's, he um, works as a computer um, engineer. He works for um, sort of like Comcast subsidiary mm-hmm. companies doing internet stuff. Gotcha. Um, and my mother is a retired music teacher, grew up playing French horn, um, sang opera, um, piano, like I said, um, you know, can, can read any type of sheet music. Now mm-hmm. she, and now, in the house, her quarantine sort of uh, shed is, is organ. She started playing Hammond B3 organ. Nice. So, you know, of course, growing up in that household and on both sides of my um, family, there's also great musicians, um, uncles and aunts and cousins, and extended family. Mm-hmm. And we grew up three blocks away um, from the church I grew up playing at um, with my mother. And, um, yeah, in the house it was very we had two we had two pianos in the house. Um in the living room and then in the dining room like a couple feet away, two pianos. Like no, most people don't grow up like that, you know. No, and I, I had no. to I had to realize that later like going over my you know my friend's house is like, "Yo, where's the instruments at?" My house <laughs> right. is Where's your pi- where's your piano? <laughs> like, where's your piano? Where's the key? where's, you know, um all, you know, um, have, I always joke about this with um, whenever it's somebody's birthday. Birthdays in my in the Marshall household is like now. Happy birthday was sung in like four part harmony every everyone's birthday. Like that's I like how it. I grew up. It's crazy. It's really like <laughs> a unique way to um, to come up. Um, I'll get. I know a lot of times when we're singing "Happy Birthday" and like with friends, and people look at yeah. me and they're like, "You should be able to kill this." And I'm like, "Man, I'm a drummer. I'm not a singer." <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I don't. If you want me to play a beat to it, I could do that. But I'm not oh, for sure. You don't want to sure. hear. And, me. That, and that became my job as well. It's like, all right, <laughs> yeah. kick it off. Come on, you know what to do. <laughs> yeah, don't give me a microphone. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, I interrupted. You know, be, no, it's all good. But because of my um, because of my parents, I was always. You know, I started music school from very young age, settlement music school, as well as the Clef Club downtown. And um, that's like Broad and Fitzwater. Um, you know, all these different, you know, summer intensives and programs. I went to a music magnet public school um, from third to eighth grade. And then I went to Kappa um, mm-hmm. High School for Creative and Performing Arts. Uh, but did you less. did you go as a drummer the whole? I mean, was that did you start on piano or any other instrument, no. or was it um, always drum for you? I've been playing all the the other instruments, so I also play piano and sing, and I play cla- uh, grew up playing classical percussion, mm-hmm. um, and I've done all those things the whole time as well. But I was never that serious about it. I did it in school because I could read music and 
Um, at a certain point, I was thinking I was going to go the route of playing timpani. I was that was my other, you know, my other love for a while. I lit I really enjoyed it. I studied with um, Don Liuti, who was the principal timpanist in the uh, Philly Orchestra. I think he he may still be active with them, but this is years ago. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I went. I studied at the uh, chamber chamber music at the Kimmel Center when they first opened up. Um, yeah, all these. I was always involved with music education, but I never took those those other things as serious as playing drums. I, that was always my thing. Gotcha. So when I from the day I started playing drums, I was all the way in. Yeah. You know what I mean. So as a, as a timpanist, were you were you thinking getting a job like a you know a residency as the principal timpanist somewhere or is that the yeah, that was um, the that's sort of the goal if you can honestly if you can get an orchestra job that's right. the that's the goal in any any realm of percussion it's like all all the other things are cool chamber music and you know if you want to be a soloist snare drum so all that stuff is cool but like. I, yeah, honestly speaking, the cast that make the bread, like <laughs> you have a, it's like getting a Supreme Court job, you know. Right, right. Like, they you don't, know, you don't get fired. You don't you, get fired. You don't quit. You know, you don't quit. You have great, you have great benefits and everything. It reminds exactly. me, but there's for like the rest of your life, for as long like, as you had a job, for as long as yeah, as long as you want it. There was a, uh, I, I was watching a, a show get filmed, and I, my buddy's a camera operator, and I was talking to him, and I was like. I said, why don't you do, why don't you get one of these jobs? He goes, dude. Right. He was like, you don't get those jobs. Like that dude that's on that camera is going to be there until he dies or retires. Like they don't just people don't quit these jobs. You know, it's like you're just you're just there and you you're don't leave. Yeah. And it's a and again, it's an it's an apprenticeship type of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you happen to get to know that guy and get close to him, then maybe he'll be like, oh well, I'm done with it, and I'm you know I finally done my you know, the, my 50 years of it, like, let me pass right. it down that, you know, this young man, you see, you know, he's been following me. He knows what I'm doing. Right. Um, is that a reason why you, why you didn't go that route? Because you felt like it was, it was either harder or there were just less opportunities. There were less to be opportunities. And also because again, like you already said, a lot of those jobs are full and I'm African-American. So <laughs> like that makes it even more like, you know, there's that there's that added layer of like, you know, um, you know, I wanted to go to Curtis. I wanted to um, go to Curtis Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, I was deterred. I was deterred by some other people not to go that route because it's like, you know, you're going to be the only black. guy. I was already the only black guy in all these different programs. But it's like it's even deeper in classical music. So I was like, you know, OK, I guess I'll stay playing, you know, playing. um at the time I was playing gospel music. I was playing, um, learning how to play jazz a little bit, straight, mm-hmm. you know, straight ahead improvisational music. Um, and then I, you know, then I ended up going to the Clef Club and meeting Joey's former drummer, Byron Landon. Beast. Um, who's, you know, ended up being a mentor to me. Um, but that, that he was he's speaking to Joey D and how long I go back with, with him my dad took me to go see him when I was probably 12 or 13 years old. And Byron was one of the first people I saw play straight ahead jazz like that with Joey D. It was at Hers- Hershey, um, Hershey Park, Hershey, Pennsylvania. Mm. Yeah, Hershey. And they had um, the auditorium there or whatever. Yeah, that's right. 
I've, I had never seen somebody in, fr- in front of my face play that way. And I, I, again, I was immediately like, oh, wow, this is incredible. I want to learn how to do that. What was it um, about what he was playing? Was it just, well, I'll let you say it. Well, you know. I, it, well it's the same thing for me when I hear him play to this day. Um, you know, he's still on the scene killing. He's playing with um, Pat Bianchi. And for a while, that trio was opening up for Steely Dan. Mm-hmm. So whoever was going these, I've never seen that tour. Um, so whoever was going to um, see those concerts, they were getting a lot of drums because they were seeing him back to back with Keith Carlock. So yeah. I'm sure that was a lot of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, damn, that's a lot of drum playing in, a, in probably like a three hour span. Of mm-hmm. a concert, but um, yeah, but I mean, both of those guys, and they both have their own really unique, unique sound and like unique style. Agree. And and Pat is like, I mean, I played with Pat, and he's like, sure. he has the Joey D thing, but has his own thing, and it's like, I don't know. To me, Pat feels a little bit more, and I mean this in a good way, like just a little bit more like aggressive on edge, a little bit. For sure, I know uh, what you're saying. Yeah, you know, like he pushes. I, I just feel like he he put not pushes the tempo, but just pushes the the envelope a, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit more. And it's just like Pat's got his own vibe for sure. For sure, it's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. Um. Uh. Your question about Byron. What I immediately loved about his playing was his. You can hear the history of the the, you know, the lineage of the lineage of drummers that he's listened to and studied. But he he still sounds his own way. Same thing as Keith Carlock. It's like you can hear Steve Gadd, you can hear, um, you know, all the cat the cats that he studies. Um, Steve Jordan. Mm-hmm. Um, but he sounds like himself. He has his own approach. He has his own pocket. His own um, approach to the cymbals and to the drums. Yeah, and. You know, Byron, when I originally saw him, it's like I, I could clearly tell he was improvising on the spot. He wasn't using a lot of, okay, stock um, right. swing patterns on his ride. He, it was, he was following Joey D and they were making music on the spot. Of course, they, of course, they were playing arrangements and playing songs they know, but what he was playing at that time was, it was reactive and, um, creative mm-hmm. um and he still has that to this day if you if you are if if you if you see him play yeah how do you how do you develop the reactiveness and the ability to play in the moment hear something whether it's whether it's triggered by something that someone else is on the bandstand playing or something that you're just hearing in your head that you want to get out how do you how do you suggest people develop that versus like you said, like these pre-packaged sort of things that they're trying to fit into the music instead of the other way around. For sure. That's a great question. Um, when it comes to um, improvisation in that way, I feel like one thing that dr- that gets overshadowed with the job of a drummer, because it can be such a regimented job, like, all right, think about people that play in cover bands. It's like, we want you to play this exact beat from this record. That's a lot of playing drums when you're learning is um, same thing with jazz school. A lot of it is like trans transcription analysis. All right. Eighth notes on the hi-hat. 
two and four on the snare drum, one and three on the bass drum, and getting good at that. And, and you know, and adversely, okay, if you're if you're working on swing or any of these grooves, learning how to play it, it's that eighth note pat the uh, you know, as Hutch would say, walk the dog, walk the dog. It's mm-hmm. like learning how to do those things well will keep you working, which is very important. But drums, the drum set also can be an improvisational instrument, just as a saxophonist can be, you know, improvisational instrument. And we don't often approach that um, drums in that way. At the same time, that became part of my practice regimen is like, um, okay, you you do your warm ups, you do your rudiments, you you know you work on some maybe some uh, repertoire, snare drum repertoire, et cetera, anything like that. But also have times when you approach the drums with no uh, preconceived notion, um, and just let you know, just let the the you know, just let your spirit play whatever that you know that is you know comes to you, whatever comes mm-hmm. to your mind. Um, and also working on drums in, in that way, but within a, um, within a form that you take a blues or you take whatever form it could be eight, you know, eight continuous. One thing I love about Nate Smith is he takes, he'll take a groove and expand upon it. You, he'll take a, the same eight bars over and over and over. It's like, it's clear it's this groove, but, and then, you know, interject here, you know, Take mm-hmm. out this part, um, you know. Let's 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 take it. Uh, let's take the dynamic range up. Let's take the dynamic range down. Um, it's so many different things that the drums can do without any any other accompaniment. You see mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's like it's a beautiful instrument unto itself, and a lot of people don't really. Um, in some, in you know, in in say some some worlds, that's more. It's more accepted, like in rock, the drum solo is the climax of a rock concert. You know, that's like, you know, right. like that's part <laughs> of the, you know, um, that's part of the, the genre. In, in other genres, that's not necessarily a thing. They want you to, the drummer is there to play that pocket, you know, mm-hmm. and that's important too. But drums can also be creative and, and in play, in, Playing more improvisational music, um, I've come to also think of uh, the drums as a melodic instrument as well. Like there, there are. Um, think of somebody like Max Roach, for mm-hmm. instance. Um, you know, one of the great Ameri- you know, Black American masters of music. Period. Um, his his playing is clearly melodic, like. Um, the direction of the notes of the way he solos. He has these sort of phrases that um like the big Sid solo. It's like a pat, you know, it's like a melodic um, you know, the drum also waltzes that another great solo. On the bass drum, mm-hmm. bass drum and snare drum. He has this oh, it's very melodic playing. Yeah. Um, and when you play, when you hear him play uh, a drum solo that's on, that's within a musical form, he he is clearly keeping the form and 
playing melodic phrases just as Clifford Brown or Sonny Rollins would on the same song. Let, let's talk. I want to talk about yeah. that. Let's let's sure. it, like let's unpack that about the idea yes, of, of playing over a form because you and I were talking off air when I learned. I don't know how you felt about it, but when I learned about melody playing with a form, yes. like it completely like it changed the whole way I even I heard the instrument. I played the instrument, everything. And I was like, why did no one tell me this when I was, you know, when I was 13, 14, 15 years old? For sure. um, so talk about the idea of like of soloing over a form and and what that means. But then also, how would you practice that type of thing? Um, for one, I, I spend a lot of practice time on. OK, after you can simply keep time within, say, a blues form, 12 bar blues form mm -hmm. at any given tempo. Um, after you can do that and without losing your losing your place um it's like okay um the same amount of time is going by continuously it's a loop for instance mm -hmm. um it just keeps uh you know the continuous revolutions of of the song form it just keeps going keep going from beat one to whenever you win so with that being said, um, drummers like uh, Kenny Clark, Max Roach, Papa Joe Jones, um, Sid Catalet, Sid Catlett, excuse me, um, you know, down the line to Philly Joe and Elvin Jones and all these, all, all, any of the people that you could study on these. Um, classic straight ahead records, bebop, swing, and before that swing, um, big the big bands. Um, it started with big, it definitely started with big bands. Um, but you know, into the more improvisational realm of bebop, um, when the drummer when they would give give the you know, usually this, how the songs went, it's like okay, we played ahead, then it's a um, horn solo. Then it's a piano solo. Then it's a bass solo. Then it's a drum solo. They they either trade with the drummer, you know, trade eights, trade fours, or they give the drummer the whole form of the song. So if a drummer is working and soloing in that type of situation, he does almost the same thing as the pianist or the um, bassist or trumpet player would do. But we have limited pitches you have the snare drum you have your rack time floor time bass drum and a couple cymbals in your hi-hat so you you can even with those limited pitches you can make melodic um information happen because you have different pitches and you if you put if you play rhythms together with those instruments it has a contour the same as a piano would have a melodic contour to a solo um and working with those different pitches when you play the drums um the the um snare drum is usually tuned highest then your rack tom another rack tom if you have two or three whatever floor tom is lower than that if you have another floor tom it's lower than that and usually the bass drum is the lowest pitch so between those pitches you can play melody and, and also between the cymbals your hi-hats are usually the highest pitch. 
Um, then you might have a crash symbol that is a certain size from 15, maybe 15 inches to 20 inches. Then you have a ride symbol from 18 inches to 22, maybe 24 inches if you like big symbols. But they, it has a, they all have pitches. So you can work that into how you solo as well. It has a contour if you play them together. You see mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. um, when, when you're playing within a form, you, you know, horn soloists learn how to play solos from vocalists a lot of times, from playing um, these different classic tunes. You know, pick any, you know, any of these show tunes or, you know, the blues rhythm changes from Tin Pan Alley. They, they learn how to play solos from listening to vocalists and how they, um, sing any of these classic melodies that's mm -hmm. where the um somebody like a lester young he's so he solos not that much different than how billy holiday sang any of these uh melodies that she sang therefore he kind of the his cadence is from uh more of a vocalist perspective right so it has that contour to it it's like telling the story. Da 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 da. It has this rise and fall. Same thing with the drums. The, mm -hmm. the approach is the exact same thing. So, if a if a horn soloist play thirty two bars, drums does the same thing. Right. You see what I'm saying? And yep. a, a drummer can take okay. Let's you know I'll take. Um, a whole a whole form, or I'll take um, say, I'll I'll trade with a, with another instrumentalist, or I'll play if it's an A A B um form, maybe I'll take um half of that, and the the rest of the band comes in at the last A, we finish the song out. It's a lot mm -hmm. of different ways to do it. Yeah. Um, if it's a drummer's record, sometimes the drums will play first. Like if it's an Art Blakey record, sometimes, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Those, you know, um, Max Roach, same thing. Tony Williams, same thing. It's like maybe mm -hmm. they'll um, put a, a, yeah, a little bit more drum solo in the in the recording or the performance than some other type type bands. But Nate Smith, same thing. Mm -hmm. The um the performance is sort of more catered towards um, the performance of the drums and the drum solo, the idea of the drum solo. Right. But um, yeah, like you said, it's, it's not something that's talked about that much necessarily, unless you have a great teacher, like somebody, like you said, you had on your podcast, Carl Allen, where they're forcing you to trans, not forcing you, but directing you to transcribe these different, you know, masters of the past that have taken great drum solos, Buddy Rich, any of these, right. you know, any of these people, but um, it's not talked about enough and it's an art unto itself. Besides us being timekeepers, it's an art, definitely yeah. an art to it. When you, and when you listen to someone like, like a Philly Joe Jones or Max Roach or any of these guys, when, when you hear their solo, it, it sounds I mean, one, it sounds like music, but it sounds thoughtful. 
and it it's sa- it, yeah. it doesn't feel like they're flying by the seat of their pants and they have no idea what's going on it's like i'm doing this deliberately i'm saying yeah. this thing and and to your point where where you're taking something and de- and developing into something else where it's just you know they're putting something do 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Right. And it's just like, okay, I'm, I'm using, I'm using this, this, this form and this pattern. And I think one of the hardest things to do, especially as a young drummer, is to play something and then play it again exactly the same way that you played it. Right. So it's like all these guys are, and it's like, okay, play that again. It's like, oh, I can't play, play exactly it. what you just played. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I think that when you, mm-hmm. when you start to play these deliberate things, and then you have you you know what you're trying to say based off of that melody that you're listening to then it just starts to now like to me anyway now i like it makes it made me feel like i started to have an actual voice behind the kit and not just like i wasn't just playing sounds and you know hitting it's not things haphazard. I mean, it's, yeah it's, it, so the whole thing about you know Again, I, I love the direction of your or the idea of your podcast because, excuse me, I love this. Is one of the things I love talking about is like, um, what because of the internet, we were just talking about Nate Smith and um, how, you know, a lot of people found out about his playing through YouTube, Instagram, etc. A lot of drummers, when you think about it, it's like when you see them play on the internet. Of course, it's a sound bite. It's a very short um, time span that they have to show you what they can do. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times they'll play their quickest, most complicated thing around the, the kit because of, you know, it's like, I want to get your attention and show you, okay, this is, you know, this such and such pattern that I can do. It's, you know, all these different things crossing over and, you know, just a lot of um, soloistic um what's the word i'm looking for how many times has how many how many times has your phone rang and said hey man uh we're calling you because we know you can do a crossover oh never it's never happened for me (laughs) it's never happened for me (laughs) all right all right again because that's not my thing (laughs) i don't think anybody's getting that call either (laughs) somebody is you know for the for the for the live again for the live um big stage performance with the pyrotechnics and the drummer goes crazy and he has his big drum solo, that's who they want. Fair enough, and, fair enough. And they're go- a lot of times those drummers are going for those big stage gigs. Fair enough. But there's a, t- there's a style of drumming that comes from, uh, again, it comes from the uh, African-American, uh, in a way it comes from the African-American experience and it comes from that history of, you know, all these people I've named already, Art Blakey, Max Roach, um, Kenny Clark, and down to today, somebody like um, again another Philadelphia drummer, Little John Roberts, Spanky. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they, the way a lot of the information is organized. Um, my Philly brother Justin Faulkner, um, his 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 brother, um, Nasir Ebo, Byron Landham, um. You know, you can name a thousand other drummers, but the whole point about it is it's like it's the organization. The drums can be the or also the organization of melodic phrases that, it you know, um, 
again, ten, it's like you see all these guys going crazy. It's like, okay, well, play it again. <laughs> they right, can't necessarily right. play it again because it's not, um, it's improvisational and it's very fast, but it's not organized. It's not necessarily organized in that way, in the same musical way. Not to say that it's less musical because that's music mm-hmm. too. Yeah. But uh, the idea of, you could say, quote unquote, bebop drums, for instance, is when you hear Art Blakey play, it's very organized. It's very smooth. It's very like melodic. Like you said, it mm-hmm. sounds like music by itself. Yeah. Because it's like, first of all, it's not necessarily that fast. And you can understand everything that's happening. True. When you hear him play, all of us might not be able to do it, but it's not that, it's not as fast as an Eric Moore or somebody like that. Right. Take any of those types of drummers, and they're all incredible at drums. Yeah, but Art Blakey didn't—he wasn't necessarily flying around the kit in that way, because he wanted you to hear the melodies that he's playing. He's not right. It, it, it's not the same type of drumming. He's trying to convey, again, his thing. You know, these drummers are more lyrical, more mm-hmm. it's like a linguistic quality to their playing instead of just <laughs> like flash. <laughs> This is such a, a a dumb thing, but I think I was while you were talking about Max Roach, I was like, he kind of well, we'll flip it around. I'm like Biggie Smalls rap oh. the way that Max Roach played the drums. You're 100 percent right, my man. I, like and- I, 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 I literally have never even thought that before in my life, and I was just thinking about it. I was like, yeah, kind of like Biggie how Biggie got the funkiest flow because he studied with um, a saxophonist from. New Orleans named Donald Harrison, who was living in Brooklyn. Really? In Bed-Stuy, where I live now. I, he was living in Bed-Stuy um, in the 90s, and Biggie studied with him. And he was listening to all these classic recordings because he was studying. with it, Biggie was a kid. He was maybe a young teenager. Right. But there's a reason for that. There's you a just reason blew, why you Biggie just blew my mind. That like, yeah, dude, that's that's historical. That actually happened. <laughs> so, like, there's a reason why Biggie wow. Flow is as funky as it, as rhythmic as it is. Because huh. he was listening to that. He was listening to that music. Trust me. That's so Trust wild. Me. Yeah, that's so wild. Mm-hmm. You were so you were just mentioned uh, about about people playing on the internet and how it's how it's these bite sized pieces yeah. of information. Um, do you think that, do you think that people are getting a bad rap for the stuff that they're putting on Instagram because they're trying to fit everything in? Or do you think that people are misguided and are just putting the wrong stuff out that, that maybe they should be putting different stuff out on the internet? Well, my, my opinion is this. I feel like everybody's goals with the internet are different and -hmm. there's a lot of different kinds of music. Like. I, I will never knock any of the, you know, any of the, um, especially over the pandemic, there was a, um, even more of an access of people playing from home and recording themselves, you know, recording, you know, video content. Um, again, drum, drummer play along videos and practice videos and shed videos. Um, there's, there's, a lot of content like that on the internet that you can find. 
mm-hmm. and it's all dope. Again, I think we should zero in even more on the instrument because I love the drums. Um, at the same time, um, everybody has different goals. If you want to be known for that, or if you want to get that type of gig, then that's the con- type of content you should be putting out. Um, I guess my the goal the goals I have with my music career comes more from wanting to be a good uh be a good timekeeper for one mm-hmm. and be a good um like a thought you know thought of as a good improvisational drummer like you're saying um and for you know, and I want to be known for having a good pocket. That's a, you know, those are the things that are important to me, musically right. speaking, in any genre, whatever I happen to be playing. Those are the most important things to me. Um, so that's what I cater my social media towards to that to that type of content. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, but now nah, it's it's man, it's all good. The, I feel like the more the merrier in terms of like how far anybody wants to take the art in the, you know, drums is athletic too. I think that's part of the, you know, you can't tell me Max Roach and Buddy Rich isn't a, that's like a athletic, they're going, they're, you know, those recordings and those drum battles from back in the day. um, It's because of the athletic part of drums. It's like who can play the crap fastest, craziest drum drum solo and yeah. they, uh, and not to say they they have different styles you know and not to say that it's not musical but it's like that that that's from drum battles and all that stuff that's from that's old school that's from way back yeah you know there's always been that aspect of you know uh of, of athleticism e- even back to the continent of africa the cast that played um, the different drums, it's like some of it is catered towards like playing extremely fast and right. playing a lot of notes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's yeah, yeah, part yeah. of that's always been part of drums, is is my point, you know. Yeah. But again, it's like it's different styles, it's different um concentrations. People people um Nate again, Nate Smith got famous for playing two and four, even though before that he played with Dave Holland and, you know, Chris Potter and all these different groups where he's playing in, you know, 17, he's, you know, all these crazy (laughs) different time signatures. That was his career before, before YouTube and Instagram, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. The point being, it's all good. As long as it's um, coming from the heart. You know yeah, I mean, it's all good. Analog sound for a digital world is finally here. Sonar has transformed the original sonar sound look and feel of the 50s, 60s, and 70s drums into a contemporary concept called the Sonar Vintage Series complete with an updated teardrop lug design, round bearing edges for warm, deep, low-end tone, a reissue of the classic iron-shaped bass drum bracket, and exciting finishes, the Sonar Vintage Series is the obvious choice for anyone who has one eye on the past and one eye on the future. 
For more information, visit sonar.com. Get ready for the new Promark. Promark is reintroducing itself with two new performance pillars. Promark, the home of their rear-weighted, performance-driven rebound and finesse lines, and Promark Classic, a celebration of the timeless feel, look, and straight-ahead performance of Promark's golden era. It doesn't matter which pillar you choose because every pair of Promark sticks is perfected with ProMatch. Only ProMatch ensures unrivaled consistency of weight and pitch from stick to stick and pair to pair. Also, Promark shows its commitment to the environment with Play, Plant, Preserve. Promark is planting trees with every pair of sticks sold. They've already planted approximately 600,000 trees back to the Tennessee soil, and they're not stopping there. When you play Promark, you're playing the only drumstick out there made from sustainably sourced and replanted wood in keeping with their vision for a net neutral future. For more information, visit Promark.com. My thing is that uh, with with the internet, I think that whatever gets people into drumming, I'm cool with that. You know, like Hell if, it's, yeah. if you, some kid watches it and is like, man, I want to play the drums. I think the cons- the only concern that I have, and I've, I've said this a lot before, is that that pe- I don't want people to mistake it. I, w- I, don't pe- I don't want people to mistake one thing for something else. So like where they're like, I'm trying to get gigs and they put videos up of themselves like doing acrobatics on the drums. And I'm like, not like you're not going to get your bills. You're not going to, it's not going to pay your bills unless that's (laughs) the thing you want to do. Right. So like uh, if you want to go be a solo drummer or something, then maybe it will. But if you want to play with a singer songwriter, like you should probably put something else. And I, and I, I keep talking about this on the podcast because I think it's important that we, that this message continues to get pushed that like, yeah, that, that if you that some people are misguided and they're wondering why they're not getting gigs <laughs> well, and it's like the only thing you. that's out there is you like doing backflips on your and you're actually like a great pocket drummer so why don't you are you you're you're putting it you're scared to put it up on instagram because you won't get as many likes because you won't get as many likes and follows from playing so right. you think so you think yeah. Again, it's, it's it's either to your point. Not to say that the internet can't be used to get gigs, and that people don't, that artists don't see your Instagram page or your YouTube content and be like, "Oh, that was dope." Okay. Yes. Not to say that doesn't happen, but I think that it's important to note that um, first of all, if you want a pocket gig. If you want to be, if you want to be in a band, if you want to play the two and four, one, two, three, four, continuously, then you have to showcase that you can um, do that. And the best way to do that is to showcase yourself playing with, playing well with others. Yeah. That's very important. And what's the first thing, if someone brings your name up and they're like, oh, you should go check out Anwar. Well, like, what's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to go to your Instagram? They're and they're going to go, gonna go on Instagram YouTube. And, they're, and what they're going to find is me playing with a lot of different people. Right. And types of musicians. Um, and what would they think if it was you just like 
just like going crazy on the drums and that was it and it's like wow there's and no video of it. him playing there's no video of pl- him playing music there's no video there's of no him playing videos of him playing time there's no videos of him, him playing a beat right um can he do it i don't know i don't know do if he it? can i don't know yeah. <laughs> you don't want again the drum if you want if you want your phone to ring the main job of drums is accompaniment technically mm-hmm. speaking um, not to say again, not to say that um, there's not music to be made just from the drums. Somebody like we lost, I think he might have passed in 2021 or to, or to, maybe the end of 2020, Milf, Milford Graves, amazing mm-hmm. drummer, improvisational, um, really creative. Um, but at the same time, if you want that, singer songwriter gig why are you putting yourself chopping out online that's not gonna help you <laughs> like you're right, saying right that's not gonna help your case um they they you know they want to see somebody that has the capabilities of making the time feel good mm-hmm. you see what i'm saying that's yep. that's what's most important when it comes to that stuff can you play two one two three four right you see what i'm saying yep yep so uh, you've studied and played with some of the greats. Like, I mean, you know, studying with Byron and playing with Joey DeFrancesco. What are some of the what are some of the lessons that have really stuck with you with from some of these some, from some of these older guys who who've taught you? Whether it be taking lessons with them, playing on the bandstand. What are some things that 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 you can pass along to to people listening? Um, mm. for one is uh. Be be ye ever ready. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the number one thing I've learned from all of them is like, um, be pre- always always be prepared. Um, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Mm-hmm. That that whole concept is because it's like even when you prepare, you might show up to a gig or to a venue or to a concert, and it might not be what's on the itinerary. It, you have to be ready for the unexpected, you know? Right. Um, um, it's, it's good to be versatile. Um, it's good to be flexible. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, for, for all those different reasons, it's like, man, playing, running around the world with people, uh, playing in these different size venues, um, small rooms, big rooms. Sometimes you're lucky to have a writer, drum writer, um, where you can ask for exactly the type of drums you want. Sometimes that's not possible, so you have to play with stair. Right. So you have to know how to tune your instrument. Or you, whatever you pick on your rider, and then you get something that's completely that's complete. Different. That's not what you asked for. <laughs> right. Because that's what they had. It's the closest yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, so you have to know, um, playing in Philly for years and playing with, you could say a couple of different people. For me, it was Bootsy Barnes. Mm-hmm. It was a pianist named Sid Simmons, a rest in peace to both of them, actually. Um, for me, it was also playing with a great percussionist from Philadelphia named Doc Gibbs. Um, he played with. Uh, Grover Washington Jr., 
um, a lot of different pop artists. He was on the he was the music director on the Emerald Legacy show. Oh, really? Huh. Um, let me see. He just passed away recently. Um, Christian Emerald's McBride, a drummer too, right? Emerald was a drummer too. Yeah, yeah. And a great, of course, a great cook. Yeah. So, which is why he had Doc Gibbs on the show. Right. Um. So now, um, lost my train of thought. Oh, Christian McBride's father, Lee Smith, great bassist from Philly. Got to play yeah. with him a lot. Um. Warren Evans, he is a, one of my mentors. Yeah, a, what was that, that? Uh, was that uh, I'm trying to think who was on that record. Maybe it was Justin Faulkner who was on that okay. that uh, Lee Smith record. Yes, that's Justin uh, on the record. What's it like sitting on a sitting on a cloud or uh, sitting on a tre- treasure? I forget what the. Oh, I have to look. Oh, uh, here it'll um, come to me. I know. I know um, the the record you're talking about, but uh, yeah. I believe that is Justin Faulkner. Um, I think so too. Yeah. Uh, rest in peace, John, um, John Blake, a great violinist from Philadelphia. He played with McCoy Tyner, played with a bunch of different people. Um, and that he's the father of the great drummer, Jonathan Blake, um, mm-hmm. who was also one of my mentors. Um, you know, playing with these different, playing with these different artists and these different musicians is like, um, and running around Philadelphia at first when I was getting my career started, running around Philadelphia in the tri-state area with these different people. Um, you got to make it happen one way or the other. It's like, all right, we called you for the gig. You got to show up on time. Um, play whatever drums, are, bring your own kit, play whatever drums are there. Mm-hmm. Keep good time. Um, no, learn a lot of material. Learn as much music as you can. Um, and always pay attention to the older musicians or the more knowledgeable musicians um, about what what they're listening to, the records that they know, the different class of recordings that they know about. So you can learn what they know from where they learned it from. That's mm-hmm. a very, I learned that from a young age from my parents. We were talking about my upbringing before. It's like my dad was always drilling these different recordings, in, you know, into my brain. Like, yo, such and such a re-. and and this is just the music that he liked because he knew it was hot. You right. see what I'm saying? Right. Um, and one of those first records was um, "Thrust" by Herbie Hancock, <laughs> um, with the great Mike. Clark That's heavy. It. That's heavy to drop on you at an early oh, age. Oh man, <laughs> from, from when I was a. You know, and of course, um, <laughs> Harvey Mason on Chameleon. This, yeah. this is some of the first music I remember hearing at all. Really? Um, and my, I don't know if I would have been... Just, uh, how old were you? Five, six, seven, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's amazing. I don't think... I don't know if I would... I think my head would have exploded at five if I heard Thrust. It was... Again, it was It was just <laughs> what was playing in the house. And my dad always made yeah. a point to t- to let me know, like, Nah, these cats were playing, dog. They're, they're <laughs> like Tower of Power. Yeah. Billy Cobham. Yeah. You know, all these different groups that my that, you know, this is just the music my family was playing in the house. Yeah. Um, and, and Did he have you listening to uh what do you to Mahavishnu Orchestra at all? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's sure. amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Dennis Chambers, you know, who I, I was fortunate to um I just got to meet him in Baltimore. Uh, nice. recently who's 
for my money, one of the, you know, still the greatest drummer alive for my money. Yeah, pound for pound, um, man. He's pound for pound. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> it, it it doesn't get better than that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, let me see. Oh yeah, and long story short, Dennis Chambers would tell you. It's like you have to, for one, you have to listen to these older guys when, when, when they do interviews. If you're, if you're ever fortunate enough to be in the same room with them and ask them questions, even Dennis Chambers would tell you he gets hired. This is the guy who has the most creative mind on drums, and probably in the past, since since any of the guys I was talking about, since Art Blakey and right, Tony Williams, any of these people. Dennis is as creative as any of these people were in their heyday because he was a, originally trying to do uh, play more um, straight ahead music. He he grew mm-hmm. up playing in quote unquote jazz clubs as well. Um, but he would tell you, Dennis would tell you himself, he gets hired because of that pocket man. He got the most crazy pocket. Yeah, <laughs> like his yeah. pocket is incredible, which is how you be. Is which is how you do a live Steely Dan album. Like, you know, it's because that, you have a pocket like that. Uh, that you can record play is so good too. Two and two and four. Yeah, dog. I think the I think the the best part of that record is the first track playing on Babylon Sisters when he's playing those ghost notes and he's speeding them up and slowing them down, and it was just like. First time I heard that, I was like, I couldn't even wrap my brain around what he was playing. And that's just the first song. Like and the whole record the is song. the whole record is amazing. And and one of the things that he did is like this is like um one of the fields sort of you know, you, you could say a field of study that Dennis sent me down a rabbit hole is like, of course, you have your own style. Everyone has their own style as a drummer. There's some things that when you, pl- you know, some things you might be better or worse at. But it's very important to study these different um, drummers that have from, from the past that have played. Um, to be able to do a recording like that, to do a live Steely Dan recording off the bat, it means you have to know how to play like Bernard Purdy. Mm-hmm. You have to know how to play like Steve Gadd. And not just, okay, the grooves that they played on the original recordings, but you have to know their inclination. You have to know, okay, um, Bernard Purdy put this beat together and it fits the song really great. Why does it fit? Why? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. You have to you have to take your mind down that rabbit hole a little bit. Um, it's like, damn, well, why does Bernard Purdy get played? excuse me, they get the call, you know, why is he on so many of these different records? It's because he can play these different grooves like the Purdy Shuffle. Um, Daily Dan themselves have it on two of their big hits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you know right. what I mean? There's a reason for that because it's a dope, first of all, it's a dope beat. And it fits, you know, it fits music well. It fits you know what I mean? It just fits. Mm-hmm. Um, so when Dennis Chambers is looking at 
you know, at doing this recording, I'm sure he's like, all right, cool. I got to play the pretty shuffle, but I'm going to play it the Dennis Chambers way. You see what I'm saying? And because Dennis is already, he, he has a pot, he has an amazing pocket. So when he's like, okay, again, part of the plan of pretty shuffle is you have those ghost notes. And Dennis like put a little, you know, he played, it's a, it's a, it's a beat that's based around triplets. Um, uh, one and a two and a three and a four and a one and a two and a And then Dennis throws some sixteenth note um subdivisions in there with his left hand. <laughs> like you know, that's yep. and that's his person again, that's his ingenuity as a drummer and knowing him knowing that. Bernard play, Bernard Purdy didn't play it like that. I'm going to throw this in there because I'm playing the song. Right. You see what I'm saying? That's the that's the type of thing that you um you want to have. You want to take care of business, but you also want to put your um you want you of course you want people to know it's you and not yeah. the, uh, the person who originally did it. But again, the main goal is taking care of business. But hopefully you can do that with your own style again. And that's from you, you, you happen to, upon your own style by studying the masters of the past, the people that, again, um, the people whose phone is ringing, you right. know, you have to study these people to see like, what is he playing? Like, like, let me, let me listen to him play on record. Let me go see him play live. Um, and also if you're fortunate enough, let me hopefully, um, have a conversation with him if he's still if he's uh if that's possible mm -hmm. you see what i'm saying but uh yeah that, that to, to, you know it's a long it's, it's a long way to answer your qu your question but that's one of that's those are the things that i've gleaned most from hanging with these uh older musicians mm -hmm. when you when you're going to study someone if you're saying oh man i really got to dig into this particular drummer i really got to dig right. into this this particular drummer are you are you doing something specific or are you just, all right, I'm going to, I'm just going to listen to a ton of their records or, or are you sitting down and like trying to play along with that record or how does that process work for you? Cause every, we always say, right? Like study the great, study the great, study, study the, the great, study the great. Everybody always says that. So, but what's the, what's the process of, of studying that so that it, so that one, it, it gets into your brain and you can actually understand what they're playing. But then, but then two, like, how does that, inform decisions that you're making behind the kit, you know, down the road a little bit to, to show that influence in your playing. For sure. I think that is it. I'll always say that's a sort of like a three tier, um, sort of realm of study that you can go into. Number one is just listening to a certain drummer. So listening to like, all right, I want to learn. Um, the feel of John Bottom. Well, I'm gonna put all those, you know, put the, all those Led Zeppelin records on and just let them play. Mm -hmm. Just sit with the music. You can also, um, after you do that, you can sit with those records and just after you've listened to after after you've listened to it and digested it, 
you can sit down and try to play along. The three tier thing is like the third tier to it is let me either find find the transcription of exactly what he's playing or let me figure out exactly what sit down and see if I can figure out exactly what he's playing mm -hmm. and duplicate it. Or just like, you know, the bar, the, the couple bars that I like. You see what I'm saying? Like, oh, uh, you know, take, um, take anything. Take, um, any, any music. Uh, Elvin Jones playing with John Coltrane. Like, to try to figure out any of those sp very specific phrases is to then understand the it's it's to demystify it. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. If you can trans transcribe it, you can duplicate it. Y mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Um, and now it's easier than ever. You can slow you can slow the music down. Yeah. In any of these programs, and and then practice with you know you can isolate these different parts and practice with it slow. Right. And then speed it up. Um, I liked when you couldn't do that because then you get too. your own version of it. I, I don't I don't I don't like to use that those things as a crutch. Yeah. But it is helpful to if, if it's too fast and you can't figure out exactly what the person is playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Um so I think that's that's how you figure those things out. But at the same time, um, learning from these older, older cats on the scene and it being a part of the general colloquial, uh, colloquialism of, again, I'm an African-American musician. So it comes from, uh, you know, improvisation, any of these improvisational musics, but also it's 2022. Hip hop has been around for almost 50 years or 50 years. Number one. One one of the number one rules of hip hop is don't bite, don't bite, bite somebody else's style. Yeah. So, you have to you have to be. It's like it's that fine line of like, okay, I need to learn how to play all these different people's music, but also that's not my style. Yeah. Which is how Dennis Chambers approached that gig. It's like, dude, I, he I'm talks about it. He yeah. talks about it in the podcast that I had him on that. He's See? like, if you, you Steve, go. if you steal Steve Gad stuff or something, he was like, back when I was coming up, he was like, that was sacrilege. You could not do that. It's sacrilege. Yeah. Go ahead. But that it's funny that you mentioned him because he, he talks about that specifically, but go ahead. Which is why like, um, this is like one of those con sort of like controversial things. It's like, because again, I don't, Hurt me personally. I don't. You. I don't. I say whenever I'm referring to jazz, I say quote unquote jazz. Right. I, again, we could go on down the rabbit hole of why that's a not the best term for the music, etc. But um, I'll say that um, any because of jazz school, because of jazz ed education, there has been a uh, a huge focus on exact transcription of certain material of any of those people I was naming before, Max Roach, Art Blakey, um, Philly Joe, um, 
there's a whole Philly, and I, I, I had it for a while. There's a, whole, there's a whole transcription book of you can buy of Philly Joe. Uh, I forget, I forget the cat that did it, but he did an amazing job. Um, you can buy, you can buy that online, but also, mm-hmm. okay, cool. That that you know, you can go down that route of exactly replicating somebody, but also, what is your style? When you, I didn't grow up transcribing in that way um i didn't do that until until i got to um college i went to university of the arts in philly and still i i'm not great at it and i don't spend probably enough time doing it to be completely honest with you because when i grew up playing in philly they didn't want to hear me play like anybody else i had to get the job of the gig done right which was keeping time <laughs> like yeah. that that yeah. was that's how i came up is like all right you need to you need to learn how to um play four quarter notes on a ride cymbal um and play you know we're gonna play some hard bop material we're gonna play some art leggy max roach um elvin jones um material but at the same time nah you can't don't be a biter Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, don't be. We we want that's again. That's sacrilege. Nah, it's like, yeah, that's that's part of um, uh, sort of that. It it coming from the African American communities where it's like, think about. Um, I always like to make this connection too. In the sixties and seventies, you had funk bands. And it's like a neighborhood regional thing mm-hmm. um, in the African-American community. But it's like, and you had to play cover material um, for the different dances, the different parties. If you play, if you're like, all right, I'm an R&B, soul, funk band. Of course, you had your own material. A lot of times you had your own material. But if you're playing a dance, if you're playing um, a function, you have to play the hits. But at the same time, you have your own arrangements to these songs because you're such and such a band from such and such a city, from such and such a street. Mm-hmm. That's how it was back in the day. Like, nah. Yeah, we're going to play um, uh, the Gap Band, Girl, You Knocked Me Out. But we're this band from this city, from this street. So we play it like this. <laughs> like we play yeah, right, it our own right. way. You see what I'm saying? Um, and that's how you get um, these different these different styles of, of playing. Yeah. Down to the regional styles of playing. That's how you get something like go-go music because they're playing funk, funk, excuse me, funk material, but they're playing it with that regional neighborhood feel to it. Like they're, they're percussionists and their drummer are playing it again. Dennis Shane was from Baltimore. That's yeah, that's yeah. part of his, you know what I mean. His uh, sort of sound as well. Mm-hmm. When he plays that type of pocket, you he, you definitely hear that he's from Baltimore. <laughs> like yeah, and that he came of he came of age in that time period. Um, so again, it's like yeah, we're playing a funk groove, but we're playing it a certain way because we are who we are, and we're not biting. We could right. play it the exact way, but. Nah, in, in 
the rules are the rules. Like, don't don't let me hear you exactly bite somebody. That's right. That was you know what I mean. That's part of the and which is the whole point of the de- uh, developing your own style through the lens of listening to all these different drummers. You take a little bit from here, take a little bit from there, mm-hmm. a little bit from there, and again, it's important to get down to the why did the person approach playing the music in that way. If you can figure that out, then you can make your own informed decisions about what you're going to play when you have to play a gig. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? That's the the end goal. It's like, I have to hold this gig down myself. So I have to understand enough about the instrument to take care of business at the end of the day. You see what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. I, I agree, man. Where uh where are you playing now? So I know you you're playing with Joey. Um playing with Joey D. Um we're touring around uh his latest record, um, more music. Um has has Mike O'Day on it and he's completely killed it. I had again, I had to jump in there after Mike <laughs> and learn his parts. But but uh, give my own input on it and play it my own way because I can't play exactly how Mike plays. He's incredible, but I right. of course we all have our own um, sort of you know our own way we get through through music as a drummer. Um, so we're touring. We're still touring that record, more music, um, that material. So, um, and you can find those dates on, on his website um, and, okay. his, and his social media. Um, I play um, in New York every week at a spot called New Blue on mm-hmm. um, in Alphabet City on Avenue C with a cat named Ray Angry, great um, uh, keyboardist, pianist. And that's like a completely improvisational, freeform, hip-hop, soul, funk, Jam. Um, no cover songs. Completely made up every every single time. That's awesome. We have a house band, and the first set we play by ourselves. We might invite up a couple of uh, singers, rappers, etc., to the to the front of the stage to collaborate. And then on the second set, and we have a DJ named Free Speech who spins on um, before the show and on a break. Now, on the second set, we invite other musicians that come and hang out on stage with us, different drummers, bass players, keyboard players, guitarists, vocalists. Um, We've had strings. We've had banjos, um, percussionists, um, all different types of amazing artists. Whoever whoever is in town, um, you know, Chris Davis come and hung out. Lil John Roberts has come play Black Dynamite, Mike Mitchell. Nice. Um, Cleon Edwards from Texas. Uh, also, a, a bunch of uh, young drummers from New York. Jalen. Um, why am I blanking on Jalen's last name? He's going he's gonna to kill me when he hears it. <laughs> it's, it's out of my mind right now. But he's right. Uh, shout out to my, my young and Jalen. He's actually doing. Um, a Broadway show right now with Black Thought called Black No More. It's on Broadway. Oh yeah, I, I saw that they were doing that. Soon. Yeah, Jalen, 
um my young oh man i can't think of his name right now uh, is that while name? while you're thinking i'll just put it out there that i think black thoughts the the greatest rapper of all time uh that is 100 percent true <laughs> and we have i don't know how we didn't touch touch on this on on this podcast but of course being from philly i gotta give quest love his flowers for all the amazing things he does yeah one of my favorite musicians of of all time same uh like I said before, I'm fortunate enough to to have gone to the high school for creative creative and performing arts, and I had some of their same teachers, um, Kevin Rogers and Gail Lazinski, uh, who and Gail Lazinski was the orchestra di- director, which is how you get somebody like Christian McBride. <laughs> he went nice. to their school as well. Yeah, but that's where he started playing. You know, and before that, he was yeah settlement music school, but he went. The cat button was in the orchestra mm-hmm. and he studied with these same teachers and that's how you get somebody that's that amazing um uh, from philadelphia but um nice yeah i just wanted to make sure that nah, i got to shout out all my philly ogs Questlove, little john roberts byron lanham banky um eric tribbett um eric green little little daryl robinson justin faulkner uh, down and all the way down the line. Mickey Roker, rest in peace. Brian uh, Fraser Moore. Brian F- Brits, come on. Brian Fraser <laughs> Moore. Um, it's so many. Like there's so because, many. There's so many, and they're all amazing. <laughs> they are, yeah, and all and all kind of do their own thing too, and like again, and, yeah, no biting. You got to yeah. have your own style. <laughs> yeah, and yep. I I grew up trying to emulate those uh, those different drummers. And then I started to play straight ahead music. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. In in high school and college. But I wanted to be a gospel R&B drummer like any of those guys. That's right. who I was immediately influenced by. You see what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Yep. So where's the best place for people to follow along with what you got going on? Go on um, the gram or? On the gram, but I'm, uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll say a couple of things. So Yes, on Instagram, but I'm also in the process of putting my website together because I'm coming out with some music nice. very soon. I'm putting out like pretty much my first official EP as a producer, um, sort of like, you know, highlighting my other skills as a musician. Mm-hmm. I'm singing a little bit on it, um, playing a little bass on it, but I'm playing keys on the whole record, percussion, a little bit of percussion too. I wrote um all the songs that I collaborated with the different artists that are on there. Um and that's probably gonna drop the end of February or early March. Awesome. But I'm putting my website together now so you'll be able to follow along there. And that'll have all my playing dates as well as, you know, I have a trio that I play with um in New York as well. And I have some Couple of dates coming up. February fifteenth at the Django, the day after Valentine's Day. Um, let me see. March third at Bar Lunatico in Brooklyn. Um, yeah, just stay tuned. Every Monday at New Blue, like I said. Mm-hmm. Um, still playing at all the again, quote unquote, jazz venues, smalls, right. etc. Um. Yeah, run around playing, trying to play with everybody. So I like stay it. tuned. <laughs> I like it. 
Well, sure. man, I, I appreciate you coming on. It's a Sunday too. I, like I, I, I know everyone's time is precious, but the weekend, especially so. So I appreciate you coming on, man. It was great to chop it up with you. So, so happy to have gotten you on the podcast for sure. No doubt. And, um, I got to check out, I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I might take some time to do it today, but I got to check out some of your other ep- episodes to see what all these cats had to say. There's a um, lot there. Well. So, yeah. yeah Justin's on me. there too. Justin Faulkner. My I brother. got it. Yeah. Byron's yeah, on yeah. here. Yeah. Dennis, uh, Brian, Fraser Moore, Lil John Robert, all those guys. My heroes, yeah. man. These are my, I study, I've studied all these people. It's me my too. People. Me too. And, and a lot of them, I, again, it's like, make sure you go and have actual conversations with these people if you can. That's, yeah. that's big advice. You yeah. Know what I mean, I agree. For sure. Well, cool, man. Well, thank you Thanks again. Thanks for having me, dog. I appreciate yeah. you, man. And uh, hopefully I'll get to see you play soon. For sure. Sooner than later, I hope. Yeah, I agree. There you have it. The great Anwar Marshall. You can check out the show notes by going to drummersresource.com forward slash session 648. And all of the links that we talked about, especially that we talked about a Lee Smith record uh i recommend you checking it out but it's called sitting on a secret and it we mentioned in this episode it's a great record it's actually coincidentally it was recorded at the same place that the music my record and the music for this podcast was recorded at a place called the music center in exton pennsylvania that's a little history lesson for you anyway it's a great record check it out and also be sure to check out anwar on instagram you can find everything again in the show notes drummersresource.com forward slash session six four eight and other than that that's all i got so until the next podcast keep drumming thank you so much for listening and i'll be talking to you soon peace Drummer's Resource is produced by Revoice Media. Executive producer Nick Ruffini, that's me. Edited by Justin Thomas. Video editing by Tomas Shannon. And graphic design by Catherine Wade. For more music and entertainment podcasts, be sure to check out revoicemedia.com.